Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Happy New Year! I hope you've had a brilliant time over Christmas and the New Year. I always find that this period is an ideal opportunity to sit down and really analyse what it is you've achieved over the last year, to get lots of reading done, to get very, very deep into the detail of what it is you're about to go and do into the next year. It's a perfect opportunity to redefine your objectives. And at the moment, we've got a particularly interesting backdrop in the world stock market, the economy, um, and not necessarily the real economy, but certainly the the, the sort of financial backdrop um, all around the world is turning, it is changing, and amber, amber warning lights are starting to go off. So I thought I'd do a video to talk about that specifically and to just give you some ideas um, which you can use in your business and in your investments um, into 2019, some themes that I'll be following uh, and ways in which you can protect yourself because we're, we're, we're certainly moving on into another part of the cycle. Now, I've just been mentioning the stock market. Um, clearly, we've got the, the UK stock market. We've got the, the US market, the Asian markets. China's a big sort of impact or influencer um, on, on events. Um, and, and all of those markets are, have, have dropped quite significantly just in the last few weeks. Um, and, you know, some, some, of the, some of the cleverest economists in the world are not as clever, don't know as much as the inside of the stock market. The inside of the stock market is the best economist in the world. Um, and it's a predictor. The inside of the stock market looks at what's likely to be happening in the real economy, the real economy is jobs and economic growth, GDP growth and, you know, wage levels and, 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 and how fast sort of asset values are growing. The stock market looks at what's likely to be happening in those those real life, the real economy in a year or two years time. So it's a predictor uh, and it's probably the best one we've got. It's not perfect um, just because the stock market goes down uh, or or. Is, is predicting a recession, it doesn't mean that's going to happen. Uh, I see lots of people trying to make economic predictions all the time, um, and invariably they're wrong. Uh, a clock is always right twice a day, but they get the timing wrong. So, you know, I, I get people telling me when the next recession is. I had someone sort of on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, and I said to him, look, why don't you name exactly when the next recession is going to be? Uh, name the drop in or, or, or give me the, the percentage drop in GDP growth and specifically when that's going to be. Um, and, and also, you know, where house prices are going to move to. And I think he, he made some prediction on sort of GDP growth, uh, but then said, oh, this will happen in the next five years. Well, yeah, it probably will. And we, we probably are in that second half of the cycle. And it's pretty obvious that in this sort of second half of the cycle, there are going to be uh, more jitters and it is more likely uh, that we're closer to the next recession. But timing that with any precision is, is, is quite a difficult thing to do. 
So what's been changing? Well, since 2010, uh, if we think back to the, the sort of, you know, that, that, that's when the, we, we came out of the last recession. It's not when we started growing really strongly, but it's when the stock market started to come out. Um, in 2010, corporate non-financial debt um, between 2010 and, and now the end of 2018, corporate non-financial debt grew to nearly 10 trillion from about 6 trillion. Um, so they're sort of huge numbers, you know, what do they mean? Um, but what's interesting to note is that in the same period, um, corporate earnings, that's all the, the profits um, which big companies make uh, on the S&P, so on the US market, only grew by about 60% of that number. So 40% uh, of that growth um, has been financed by debt. Um, so, you know, what, what does that mean? Well, a lot of that debt has gone to finance sort of mergers and acquisitions, uh, creating more risk in the system. Um, it's also meant that a lot of that debt has come in the form of government debt, corporate, uh, rather than corporate debt. These are treasuries. Um, the, this is debt that, the, that governments all around the world, especially the US government, issues to people uh, in order to finance its spending and, and finance its operations. And under Obama and even more so under Trump, they've gone on a spending spree. Uh, they're spending a lot more than they're earning um, and uh, they've, they've used it to grow parts of the economy. Trump's spending a, a hell of a lot of money on infrastructure. Um, he's clearly reduced corporate taxes. Uh, and some of that is starting to bite now. A lot of this has been financed by debt uh, rather than tax, tax income. Uh, you've seen that the um, government is going through another shutdown now. Um, so a lot of these uh, chickens are coming home to roost now. Um, so a big bubble has has, has effectively um, been created. Uh, and people are, are wondering, well, you know, is that bubble going to burst with a, with a bang? Or is there a, a pin going to go into the side of it and it's going to release slowly? And I don't have the answer to that. I don't think anyone really does. Uh, but it's just something to, to sort of focus on. So as I said earlier, the, this sort of traffic light system, if you think of the stock market um, issuing a, a green, an amber and a red signal, at the moment, I would say it's flashing amber. Uh, it's sort of saying there are, there are issues in the system. Maybe the next year, two, even five years doesn't look as rosy as the previous one to, um, you know, five years. Um, and, you know, the inside of the stock market is displaying some interesting indicators, which I'll, I'll sort of go through now. Now, one of those biggest um, indicators or, or one of the things that it's, it's very interesting to look at is how cyclical stocks are doing versus non-cyclical stocks. Um, now, cyclical stocks are the type of shares or companies that generally do best in the good times. So if you think, um, as we came out of the last recession, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, the companies and businesses that have done the best are the likes of the house builders. They always do best in times of good economic growth when the, the economy is expanding and unemployment is low and, and, and the future looks good. Uh, and the banks, the banks are very dependent on businesses doing well so they can lend more money, they get paid back, um, you know, in, in, in greater um, 
in greater numbers and, and they have less debt impairments, i.e. they have less bad debts in the good times. So those two types of businesses, the house builders and the banks, are very good indicators of um, where the stock market thinks the economy is going to be in, say, one or two years time. And those cyclical stocks are all down quite significantly at the moment. So banks, on average, I'd say they're down about 20, 25 percent. If you look at Lloyd's, it's down about 25. HSBC down about 20 percent. Um, RBS is down almost 35 percent. So quite significant. Um, and, you know, if you if you look at the house builders, um, in, in addition to those, they're all down about 25 percent as well. So you've got Persimmon, you've got Taylor Wimpley, uh, Barclay Homes, uh, Cress Nicholson. That's, you know, people are particularly concerned about Cress Nicholson. There are lots of hedge funds short selling their stocks at the moment because they expect that those businesses and the revenues which those businesses generate and the profits that they make are likely to be lower in in the next sort of year, two, three and five years time. So the stock market is marking the value of those shares down quite significantly uh, because of this expectation. Clearly, retail is a cyclical type uh, of industry as well. Retail is down heavily. There are other factors at play there. Obviously, there's Amazon, there's online that is changing the whole retail landscape. So retail's in a a sort of 10, 15 years slow motion uh, downturn anyway. But in addition to that, um, I, I, I think the stock market is, is marking retail stocks down even further because it expects that it will be retail will be impacted most uh, by uh, a recession or, a, or an economy that doesn't grow as strongly because they are cyclical type businesses. So, Lots of people would sort of say to me, well, surely there are some companies that will do better uh, in recession time. And that, that's absolutely true. That is the case. Uh, if I think of our letting agents, if I think of our type of business, um, letting agencies are the type of businesses that would generally do better in a downturn or in a recession because less people want to buy houses and more want to rent. So letting agencies tend to do quite well. State agencies do well in the good times and do better than letting agencies in the good times, but don't do as well when there's a downturn. So letting agencies, it, it could be cool, uh, could be they they would fit into the counter cyclical type businesses. So they're, they're a counter cyclical stock or or share other types of businesses which are operate in that counter cyclical um, type bracket are pharmaceuticals. Um, so you might look at Glaxo um, or you might think of AstraZeneca. Well, they're both up. The stock market um, has decided that, 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 that companies like that are probably going to do better, um, you know, in, in the next few years. So their stock uh, just in the last sort of two, three months has gone up 15 percent for Glaxo, 20 percent for AstraZeneca uh, and Unilever, which is not a pharmaceutical, but. You know, it, it, it provides all those staples which we have in our home, you know, washing powder and sauces and foods and, you know, all, all these sort of big brands which we know of um, that we use in our home. Um, their stocks are up. Unilever's up about 15 percent. So, again, the stock market sort of saying the counter cyclical type companies are going to do well and the cyclical companies are not going to do quite well. 
not going to do so well. So they're quite interesting indicators. And if you look at, as an average, the UK stock market or, or the FTSE is only down about 13% over a year ago. I mean, it's down, but it's not down 2025 like the cyclical stocks would, would indicate because there are lots of these other types of businesses that are sort of doing, doing quite or, or expected to do better. Some people might say to me, does that mean I'm better buying into cyclical stocks or counter-cyclical stocks now? Well, you might be a bit late. What I would say is that that expectation uh, of the, the, the way in which the economy is going to perform and behave over the next two years or, or two, three, four, five years is already baked into the price of those stocks. Um, so yeah, that expectation is already ingrained into the price. So you're probably a bit late and that expectation can change and it does change. It changes on a sixpence. Um, it doesn't mean I'm necessarily out buying equities at the moment. I'm not, um, you know, generally with, 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 with equities, I would buy into them and I'd try and keep them for a long, long period of time. I might use this as a buying opportunity for companies I really believe in because I think that they are better value than they were six months ago. Um, but, but generally speaking, I don't trade the markets on this type of news. Um, and I'm not really a, you know, a stock trader anyway. Um, another very interesting indicator, and this has served investors well uh, over many, many years, is the yield curve. Now, the yield curve is particularly important because what it is essentially is, I mentioned earlier on, the US government borrows a lot of money to, to finance its operations, as does the UK government. Um, the US government um, issues um, treasuries, which are a type of loan or bond. A bond is just a loan. Uh, and and the, US, the, the specific name for the US uh, government type of bond or loan is, is a treasury. Uh, the UK government issues its equivalent, uh, which are gilts. So you can buy gilts or you can buy treasuries. Uh, and what you're doing is effectively giving your money to the, the UK or the US government um, for a set period of time for a set interest rate. Now, what happens is these bonds are issued at various points in time as the government looks to finance its, you know, its balance sheet or its operations. You know, it's got got all these social security payments to make. It's got police to, to, to keep running fire. You know, it's got all, all the roads to keep running, the army, the military, all that stuff. So as you go on through the year, the governments are generally issuing these bonds at set points. Um, they, they often run bond auctions um, and the, the, the price of those bonds is, is set by the market. But there is a fixed coupon or a fixed interest rate which each one of those bonds will return to the investor. Now, that might sound a little bit complicated, but it's not. It's, it's, it's relatively simple. I've probably just said it a bit quick and maybe jumbled it up. The, the, the important thing to understand is, generally speaking, at the moment, you might say US Treasury is a US government loan. Um, you, you might get a return on it of about two and a half percent. If you were going to be buying a bond which matured, which meant you were going to get your money back in three years time, you might, let's say you were getting two and a half percent interest for that. If you were going to lend your money to the US government for five years or maybe seven years or maybe 10 years, 
you would expect a higher interest rate, i.e. 26 2.7%, 2.8%, because you're locking your money away for longer. Clearly, the interest rate I'm, I'm talking about is an, on an annual basis, but you, you would still get more interest, generally speaking. But something, something sort of weird, strange, or, or you know, not, not necessarily normal is happening right now, whereby you're actually getting less interest for putting your money away for longer than you would do for a shorter period. So that, that treasury yield curve is inverted. So if you're looking at yield, if you're looking at um, lending your money to the US government for say seven years or 10 years, that is actually getting you a lower interest rate because the, the, the price of those bonds has increased um, than say a, you know, if you were lending it for, for three years. Uh, and there's a very simple reason for that. When you come when you come into periods where people there's less certainty and investors in the market believe that companies and banks and other institutions are not such a safe place for your money, i.e. they might go bust or they might not pay you back or whatever, they generally seek more security and more safety. So they will go and put that money into safer and more secure asset classes. US government bonds, UK government bonds are about as safe an investment as you can ever imagine. The US government has never, ever defaulted or written down or, you know, not paid back any of its debt. Uh, and the same would go for the UK government. It's, it really is safer than houses. Um, so if you're, if you're, if you're looking at that, that bond curve and it inverts, i.e. the interest rate or the amount of interest that you're likely to be getting over the long term, is less than you would get over the short term from those very, very secure locations. The market is telling you that they don't, the, the market doesn't expect things to be better in two, three or four or five years time, expects it to be worse, i.e., you know, so therefore there's more money flowing into that asset class, which is not going to be released for a longer period of time. So that's particularly interesting. You probably noticed how gold has started going up as well been a massive shift on gold but generally assets you know liquidity flows into gold um, as an asset class when the market expects um, things to be shakier uh, and that's definitely happened um, and you know if you if you sort of look at the overall picture um, I, I think the, the the US Fed uh, the US Federal Reserve which is, is like our Bank of England has been raising interest rates probably a little bit too quickly um, over over the last year, 18 months. Uh, I don't agree with Donald Trump on most things, uh, but uh, on, on this, I, I think he, he may be right. Interest rates are, are going up um, quite sharply and uh, the market doesn't like that. The market sort of thinks that they're, they're going ahead a little bit too strongly, a little bit too quickly. Um, so US interest rates, their base rate is two to two and a quarter percent right now. Um, they've been hiking until something breaks uh, because I don't think they really know how far they can go. We're in a new sort of world since the, the financial crisis. Base rate came off half a percent and they're probably trying to get to three percent. And I suspect they've uh, they've reached the limit because the, the market has, has really um, started to uh, started to react badly. They're still shrinking their balance sheet, uh, so they're they're, they're reduced. They're trying to sort of reduce this uh, quantitative easing, 
where they were the central bank or the Fed were actually buying these bonds, these treasuries to create more um, money in, in, in the system. They were trying to increase the money supply. Uh, and they've been sort of going along that path for several months now. Uh, and particularly sort of QE3, which is, is, is again, all post-crash of, of 2008. So what do I expect from all this? What, what's likely to happen? Well, the stock market's probably going to deliver struggling returns, I expect, for the next three to five years. Um, it, there's a good chance instead of, you know, a, a big sort of, there's already been a correction, but a, a really, really big uh, downbeat. There could be uh, the market's going sideways for a period of time. Liquidity is definitely reducing. The money supply has definitely reduced significantly over over the last sort of few months. Um, and it, it, this is all against the backdrop uh, in the UK, in the US, sort of in Europe, uh, maybe to a lesser degree, especially lesser in France, against a very high employment rate, uh, very good wage growth. Uh, and, um, you know, generally strong economies. I know the UK has got its own issues with Brexit right now. Um, but, but generally speaking, the real economies of the world are, are growing quite well. Now, that's quite interesting to note. And a lot of people mention that when they're, they're as, as a sort of, I don't know, a counter or, or a reason why things aren't quite as bad as, as maybe, you know, some of the markets are suggesting. But, we do have to remember that these are lagging indicators, uh, you know, unemployment or employment and the rate and how many people are, you know, how many people in the economy are employed uh, and also, you know, wage levels uh, and, and also GDP growth. They lag what happens, um, you know, in, in terms of the market. So generally speaking, if we, we are turning uh, and the markets are turning and you know, our, our economies are, are changing, those indicators will have a sort of delayed reaction uh, as, as, as the real economy catches up. So what's, what, what else is not going to do, you know, quite, quite so well? Well, clearly banks, lenders, any kind of credit institutions um, are, are probably not going to be quite so good. I wouldn't want to be buying house builders right now. I know they may bounce back, uh, but I suspect they're, they, they may be going sideways. If, you, if you're trying to predict very with any kind of precision as to where we are in the cycle, we're probably in the seventh inning of a nine-inning nine game, if, you, if you're thinking about cricket. Um, you know, we're in the latter part of the cycle. I couldn't say exactly, you know, sort of where we are, but asset values, they've got to be relatively um, fully priced at the moment. I've heard lots of people, or I've heard some people saying, you know, this is surely the point in the cycle where you go and sell all your properties and then you rebuy them when the market has gone down 30%. Um, you get them a lot cheaper. Um, you know, the economy's going into recession and, you know, the market is, is, is the markets are likely to drop. Well, I've seen people try and do that over the years and I won't be doing that. And there's a few reasons why I don't think that works. Um, I've been through a couple of recessions, one where I was fully conscious and obviously we were investing, we were buying properties uh, and I got to see it develop right from the early stages because before that we were in a, a very strongly growing market through to a big downturn and then to, to come out the other end of it. 
and I, I watched quite carefully um, as to sort of what happened and what happened to the people that did do that. Because I remember last time when people started selling those kinds of assets. What people don't mention typically when you buy and sell a property is that the costs of doing so. So the legal fees, the stamp duty, um, you know, the valuation fees, any bank fees is generally about 10%. Now, obviously, it depends what type of property you're buying. And, and maybe now with stamp duties, it incre as it has increased, you could be pushing 15%. So the market has got to drop 15% and for you to time it perfectly top to bottom just for you to stand still if you're going to sell out and then buy back in again. Um, if you're running a, a buying operation uh, and you're spending your time, you know, maybe you're employing staff to find properties, maybe you're putting a lot of your time into to, to buying properties um, and to developing the portfolio. You also need to think about the staff time, uh, the cost of running your office and your operation. I'd say that's at least depending on how many you buy and how, how big your operation is, but that's got to be at least 5% of the price of the property. Um, so if you're you're adding those two things together, you're already at 15 to 20%. Um, and then in addition to that, when you sell a property, uh, if you own it in a company, you've got corporation tax on that. Uh, if you own it personally, you've got capital gains tax on the profit, um, you know, and, and that could be, 20% up to, well, if it was personal tax, it's 18 to 28%, or if it's in a company, it could be 19% on the profit, on the capital gain that you made. So if you just said it as an average broad brush, that accounted for another 10% of the property value. You could say that, that, that buying and selling a property, taking properties out of your portfolio uh, and selling them because you expect there to be a recession uh, and then buying them back again, could cost you somewhere in the region of 20, 25, maybe 30%. So the market's got to drop by that much. And, and this is the important bit, and very, very few people get this exactly right, because especially with property, um, it, it lags, uh, you know, and it can be quite difficult to get back in um, at exactly the right point, because you don't know where the bottom of the market is and you don't know where the top of the market was until you're out of it. You don't know that with hindsight. So, you're going to have to time it perfectly. There's, there's got to be at least a 25, 30% drop for you just to get back to where you were. Um, so I, over time, I've, I've realized, you know, the whole thing is folly. I haven't even mentioned the loss in income that you get from the asset over the period uh, where you didn't have it because you were, you know, you sold out probably a bit early uh, or a bit late and you bought back in again. So I just don't think it makes sense, uh, and those are the reasons why. Um, and, th and that's another reason why I believe that buying and holding property is such a good idea versus sort of trying to, to buy it, develop it, and flip it. I think in, in the good times, I think that is a great strategy, um, especially with help to buy, lots of people converting buildings into apartments. I think now things are not selling as quickly, uh, and I think into a recession, it is the developers who have to sell their stock to stay alive who get hit hardest. Um, so all the developments that we're doing, um, it doesn't mean to say, you know, that we're not developing property right now because we are uh, and I'll continue to do so. 
we would generally look to buy, add value, and then rent our stock out. You shouldn't be too bothered about what happens to the value of that property in the short to the medium term. These should all be 20, 25, 30 year investments. As long as you're focusing on, on rental and the income that it produces, market fluctuations like this, are, um, they're not as important uh, and they shouldn't have such a bearing on your investment decisions and they shouldn't affect you. Uh, you know, when things move, move, move strongly. And that's that's one of the reasons that I like this strategy, uh, especially in times like this. I think when you're in the early part of the cycle, I think it can be very good developing properties to sell because you also you get the uplift from the, from the growth in the market as you develop the properties. Um, so I think if you're, if I was to give you some ideas about how to deal with this period the best, if you're going to, by buildings which you're going to convert, if you can do smaller units, smaller apartments, smaller houses, um, which have generally better potential to, to, to let and also higher yields, uh, because generally the smallest properties have higher yields because uh, the capital values are lower, but the, the rental income which they generate is not commensurately lower. If you're outside you know, of the most expensive areas, you're more into the regions, uh, and you, you're in the, the sort of, I don't know, maybe the middling areas, I think it can, can be uh, a more defensive, a safer strategy. I think you really wouldn't want to be buying uh, buildings or building, you know, big expensive houses right now. Obviously, stamp duty is one issue, but they're the ones that are probably going to get hit the hardest. They're going to be very difficult to rent out and they'll rent at low yield. So you're not going to be able to refinance the money out and, and keep growing to the same extent. Um, so coming into this period, I think the type of deals that you're doing and the exit on them is really important. I think it's important not to over leverage. Um, clearly, as you go into a downturn, if that's what's happening now, I'm not saying it is, uh, but, you know, we're in the second half of the cycle. You can see in the next five years, um, things that maybe aren't going to be as good as in, in the previous five years. I might be wrong. But, you know, that, that, that's sort of what it looks like. I think it's better not to push the leverage. I think it's better uh, to let the leverage maybe stay at around 60%, something like that. Uh, you're going to be better protected against banks getting themselves into, into trouble like they did last time and sort of trying to pull the money back. Uh, and I think it's really, really important to make sure you are developing very high income generating properties. Most of the, the buildings that, that, that we are developing right now have gross yields in excess of 15%. Um, you know, I, I really like that level because it, they throw off so much cash every month. Uh, the banks generally like that. I think in a downturn, it's, it's what protects you the most. And I think they're the asset classes that I remember last time the banks were happiest to continue lending on because they, they just look so, you know, so, so, they, they look like they have so much less risk attached to them. Interest rates clearly in the US are still going up. What I think is going to happen, you know, in the UK and the US in the, in the medium term, well, if the economy starts to struggle, the real economy starts to struggle, I think interest rates, you know, the, 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 the doves will be out and interest rate um, expectations will be to the downside. Um, we're at 0.75%. Can I see them going up? Uh, anytime soon. Not really. Uh, I suspect US interest rates may have almost peaked as well. 
Um, but if they did go up a lot, you've got high yielding, high cash flow properties. Again, that, that protects you um, against interest rate rises. Um, so I think it's probably the time to, to focus on those bread and butter type deals. I think it's a great time to inject a lot of this pessimism into your negotiations and to negotiate harder on buildings. I think developers and the, the big national house builders are paying less for sites. Uh, it's nothing like 2008, 9, 10, but they are paying less. Um, you know, as their stock market, as their valuations have gone down, you know, and, and their lenders have got a, a little bit more jittery um, and, and also development funders are not quite as, they're certainly not um, by any stretch of the imagination, you know, they're not being sort of anything like what they were in 2009, 10 and 11. But as they start to rein things in a little bit, uh, I think it, it offers you more opportunity to negotiate harder. You know, if you, if you were looking at sort of, sort of three or four deals before, why not look at 10? Why not be even more aggressive on the price which you're willing to pay those vendors? Because I think if you start to go a little bit harder, you'll notice they are softer. They've got less bids. They're probably in, you know, a position uh, not quite as strong as where they were a couple of years ago. Um, you know, just because they, they they've got less people wanting to buy, you know, their, their their properties and their land from them. So I think it's a great opportunity to reset those price expectations. Um, and I think if there's anything in 2019 that I will be doing. It will be working out how I can buy buildings cheaper uh, to de-risk the whole process. Not that I haven't been sort of thinking about that for the last five years. Um, so latter stages of the cycle, is it time to panic? No. Um, you know, are, are we looking at selling all our you know, assets? No. Have I sold any shares in the stock market? No, I haven't. Have I rebalanced things a little bit? Yes. I, a year ago, actually, I... I sold uh, some of my equities and I, I started buying some treasuries uh, and I, I bought into um, a, a gold, it's uh, BlackRock Gold in general. It's a, it's a fund that invests in gold miners um, and counter-cyclical type uh, businesses. It hasn't done that well over the last year, but I suspect it, 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 it will do better you know, in, into the future. Um, so a little bit of rebalancing, a little bit of refocusing, um, negotiate harder uh, and, and just sort of look at where you can cut costs in your business. I think they're all good opportunities and, and, and you know, things which can increase your margin and protect you against the downside into the next year, three and five years if it comes. Hope that's been useful and of interest to you. Um, have a very, very Happy, prosperous and successful 2019. That has been Mark Homer.